Discover hope, finding peace in uncertain times. I don't need to remind each and every one of us that we are living very much in uncertain times. Um, that's just the world that we live in today. And um, over these next three presentations in particular, today, two, and tomorrow um, afternoon, the first presentation, we're going to take a look at the way the world is and where we can find hope. So we're going to seek to put some pieces together. So what can I expect from this seminar? People ask me, well, what can I expect? So I'll be up front and share with you what you can expect. And you can hold me um, to this. Firstly, you'll understand that God is in control. Even though this world looks like it's out of control, you'll discover that God is in control. Secondly, you'll learn to trust in the Bible. This book, the Bible, has changed my life in an amazing way. And I believe that it can change the life of anyone. And you'll learn to put your faith and trust in the Bible as you take a look at the hard evidence. I'm a person that believes in evidence, and so you'll have an opportunity to look at evidence and base a decision on that. You'll be able to make sense of what is going on in the world. A lot of people scratch their heads wondering, what's going on? Where are things going? Um, and so that will help you join the dots. You'll discover that we are all in a titanic spiritual battle. Eternal life or eternal death is at stake. That will become very clear as we move along. I'm praying that it won't be just information, but transformation. If it's all just about information, well then, yeah, we haven't really achieved much. But I'm praying that it will be life transformation. That you'll discover how you can have peace in these uncertain times. And the most important thing, you'll discover how you can spend eternity in a place where there is no more sadness, suffering and sorrow. How does that sound? I wouldn't mind hanging out in a place like that. Um, so that's what you can expect from these presentations, these 12 presentations that we'll be spending together. First subject I've entitled, Living on the Edge of Eternity. I want to begin by sharing with you uh, one of my favorite stories. Um, not because of what happened, but just an amazing story. The story of this ship. Does anyone know this ship? Titanic. Titanic. Yes, we're all very familiar with the Titanic. Um, the Titanic. An amazing ship. This is a picture of the Titanic as it prepared to sail out of New Hampton bound for New York on a maiden journey on April 10, 1912, more than a century ago. This was the most luxurious, the greatest, the grandest ship that had ever been built up until that point. 40% larger than the next biggest ship. The only ship to have a swimming pool on board, the first one. And so, um, yeah, the rich and famous were on board and I think we've all seen, or many of us have seen the movie. How many have seen the movie with Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio? When was that? Back in 97. Wow. That's like um, 21 years ago when that movie came out. It was, there was a lot of excitement as um, those first passengers rolled on board from the very rich to the not so rich who were just so excited to get onto that Titanic as it made its maiden voyage from England all the way to New York, hoping to get there in record time. However, as we know, the sad story, four days into the journey, on April 14, 1912, 20 minutes to midnight, the Titanic struck an iceberg. Why was it such a tragedy? Well, this was the, the write-up, the front page of the London Herald, uh, two days after the that, that devastating accident, the worst accident by ship in, in history that, that we're aware of. Titanic sinks, great loss of life. 
world's greatest liner strikes iceberg, Titanic, the tragic story. Why was it such a tra tragic story? Why did 1,500 people lose their lives? Well, there were many reasons. For one, they didn't have enough lifeboats to cater for all 2,200 passengers. There were enough lifeboats to cater for 1,200 passengers. So what do you do if you're part of the 1,000 that are not able to get on board? But what was really tragic is that the Titanic had many messages of warning as it made its way into the freezing waters of the Atlantic that there were many icebergs ahead. Now, these were three key individuals on the Titanic. This here is Joseph Ismay. He was the owner of the Titanic. And all he cared about was getting from one side of the Atlantic to the other in record time. He wanted to have the fastest time. He wanted to get the gold medal. That's all he cared about. So even though there were many warnings, icebergs ahead, go with caution, or better still, just hold up for the night as one ship, the California, did. No, he wasn't interested. Full steam ahead, 40 kilometers an hour, 22 knots. We're away. We're the Titanic. Someone once quipped before the Titanic left sail from New Hampton. Not even God himself could sink this ship. And uh, this was the Titanic. Captain Edward Smith, very experienced captain. He knew what he was doing was not the right thing, but he was under pressure from the owner who had his own personal ambitions. Then there was Jack Phillips. He was the wireless operator. Now, instead of being in tune with the warning messages, he was busy sending private messages of the rich and famous to individuals here and there. He had no time, really, to deal with the warning messages. In fact, we have here the transcript of what took place in the ensuing um, investigation there in New York and London after the Titanic sunk. Let me read these words. This is from uh, the investigation. These are some of the minutes. Mr. Cyril Firmston Evans, 20, was the wireless operator aboard the California. This ship was about 10 kilometers away from the Titanic. And as we'll discover, this ship had decided to stay put for the evening because of the icebergs in the area. We'll keep reading. On the night of April 14, 1912, he warned Titanic that ice in the vicinity had forced them to stop. But he was rudely rebuffed by the wireless operator of the Titanic, Jack Phillips, who was sending private messages to the wireless relay station at Cape Race. After this, Evans turned in for the night. It was about 11 p.m., 40 minutes before the, the tragic accident, thus failing to hear the distress signals from Titanic, which were broadcast a short while later. Do you know that this was the only ship that could have got to the Titanic in time? The ship that got to the Titanic, the, Carp the Carpathia, something like that, it got there four hours after the distress signal was given and obviously it couldn't save anyone that was in the water. This ship was the only ship that could have got to the Titanic in time. It would have taken about an hour to an hour and a half to get there. The Titanic was afloat for two hours and 40 minutes. There was a window of an hour to an hour and a half to get everybody off board safely. The only ship that could help was told to do something. Now, how was this wireless operator, uh, operator rebuffed so rudely? Do you want to know what he said? Do you know what Jack Phillips told Evans? These are his words. Shut up, shut up, I'm busy, I'm working Cape Race. I've got no time for your warning messages. Leave me alone. Shut up, 
I'm busy sending private messages to worry about your warnings. As I think about those words, I wonder if there is someone else today that's seeking to share messages of warning to you and I who live on planet Earth because of love, because of mercy, because of grace. And we are so busy sending private messages here and there. We're so busy with life that we've got no time to sit up and take any notice of the one who wants to save us from the iceberg that is ahead. And as we'll discover, there's a huge iceberg ahead of this world. And there is someone by the name of Jesus, through his word, that is giving us messages of warning. I don't know about you, but I believe that there is nothing worse than facing a stupendous crisis without preparation. How many of you would agree? Imagine there was a cyclone about to hit. Carry on. In two hours' time, at 500 kilometers an hour, would you want to know about that cyclone ahead of time? Absolutely. So God in his love and in his mercy has given us his word and he has given us messages of warning out of love to prepare us for what is coming so that you and I can find hope in these uncertain times. We're going to begin with prayer and then we're going to move into our presentation for this afternoon that I pray will not only inform you but will help you to know that we have hope on the way. Let's just pause and pray for a moment. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for being with us. I pray that you'll bless us now as we spend time together in your word, as we take a look at these warnings of love that you have given to us to prepare us for what's ahead in order that we may not be caught by surprise, but that we may have peace and safety in you. Bless us as we open your word, open our hearts and our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to begin by going to the city of Jerusalem. I've had the privilege of going to the ancient city of Jerusalem. Um, it's an amazing city. And this is the place where Jesus shared an incredible message with his disciples and with anyone else who wants to take the time to listen in of what the world will be like before he comes and how you and I can have peace and hope. This is what the Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus here was referring to the temple. This was the pride and joy of the Jewish nation. And Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth, that one of these days... This temple will be completely destroyed that not one stone will be left upon another. That took place 40 years from when Jesus said those words. We're going to look at that in more detail on another occasion. In this particular chapter that we're looking at this afternoon, Matthew 24, Jesus gave signs that would precede the destruction of Jerusalem as well as signs that would precede the destruction of this world. Two in one. And so we want to take a look at the signs that would usher in the greatest event in human history, which is the second coming of Jesus. Well, the disciples thought that this would be the end of the world because they believed that the destruction of, Jerusalem, the, destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the end of the world would happen at the same time. That was the most cataclysmic, catastrophic um, event that they could imagine. So the Bible goes on and says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will all these things be? In other words, when is this going to happen? When is the temple going to be destroyed? 
And what will be the sign of your coming and, the, and of the end of the age? They put the two and two together. They believed these two events were synonymous. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive how many? Many. And you will hear of what? Wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Nonsense! say the skeptics and the scoffers. They're not really signs at all. I mean, we've always had kooks running around saying they're Jesus. We've always had wars and rumors of wars. Isn't that true? We've always had famines, earthquakes and pestilence. We've always had this. What kind of signs are they? They're not signs that Jesus is coming back. Well, the skeptics and the scoffers haven't read far enough. We need to keep reading. Notice what Jesus said next. Verse 8. Matthew 24, all these are the beginning of, what's that word? Sorrows, sorrows. Very interesting word that Jesus used. And he used it on purpose for a very important reason. It was back in 1996, November 14. My wife was two weeks overdue with our first baby. And we didn't know, well, we didn't want to find out whether it was a boy or a girl. How many of you have been in that boat? Well, some of you probably didn't have that opportunity in your day. <laughs> they didn't have these fancy dancey scans. Uh, we decided we didn't want to know, but we were all excited. She was two weeks overdue. So ladies, when you're two weeks overdue, what do you have to do? And the baby doesn't want to come. Induced. Yeah, absolutely. So we trundled off to Belmont Hospital. Um, and um, we were there and they put the drip and all this and that. And everything was pretty cruisy. I was making jokes and just trying to soften things up as you do when your wife's two weeks overdue. But she didn't like my jokes for some reason. I've got no idea why. She just, um, and just things started off really, really slowly. You know, I don't know if any women here have been induced. Any men? No. <laughs> It all started off really slowly, and I'm like, this baby's never coming. You know, the waters, they burst their waters and so on and so forth. And this baby's never coming. I mean, what do you do when the baby's not coming? I was feeling hungry, so you go and have lunch. I wouldn't do that today. I wouldn't do it today. So I go and have lunch. I come back, and it's a different kettle of fish. I'm telling you, the landscape has completely changed. Before, she wasn't interested in my jokes and she kind of just palmed me off. This time, she didn't want to know me at all. So I'm like, okay, what do I do? I need to be helpful and I want to be a helpful husband. So um, I remembered what I did or what I was taught in those baby classes. You know those, what do they call them? Prenatal, antenatal, what do they call them? Prenatal. Prenatal. I don't know. You know those baby classes that you go to? How many of you have been to those baby classes before the baby's born? You go there, you know, and they teach. So I thought, I'll, I'll massage my wife. And um, she told me to take a hike. She actually said a few other things which are probably not worth sharing. Um, but you know what? At 7.28 p.m. on that Thursday evening, November 14, 1996, the long wait was over. Finally, those contractions kicked in. They were quick and they were horrendous. And the baby was born. And I was so excited. So excited. That word there, sorrows, is the word birth pains and contractions. 
So what is Jesus telling you and I? What Jesus is saying is, yes, these things have always been part of human history. But before I come, just like contractions, they become more severe and more intense the closer we come to the birth of the baby and they come closer to what? Together. Isn't that true? Absolutely. That's what I saw with my very own eyes. Labor pains are visible, they're progressive, and they are climactic. Labor pains are, as I pointed out, intensifying frequency and intensity. So what Jesus is saying to you and I is, yes, these things have always been part of human history, but before I return, all these things are going to intensify. All the graphs are going to be going up exponentially. Watch out. When you see all these things taking place in a way that has never been in human history, then you know that my coming is very near. Will we be able to determine the exact time of Jesus' coming? Notice what Jesus said in verse 36 of Matthew 24. But of that day and hour, how many know? No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But, and here is the big but, Jesus balanced up this statement of no one knowing the exact time of his coming with these words. In verses 32 and 33, Jesus used another illustration. This time from nature. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, that is when you see these contractions, these, these titanic contractions intensifying, you will know that it that is my coming is what? Near even at the doors. So we cannot know the exact time of Jesus coming for good reason. Human nature being human nature, you know what we would do? We would leave our run right to the very end and then we'd all look to jump on board the last train. Isn't that true? And heaven would be worse than this earth. I don't want to hang out in a place like that. But you and I can know when it's near, even at the doors. So let's ask some important questions. Is the coming of Jesus at the door? You be the judge this afternoon. How big are the contractions on planet Earth right now? Are they getting bigger? And the most important question of all is, how should we respond to the signs of the times? How do we respond? What do we do? Do we just sort of raise our eyebrows or go, whatever? Or do we respond in a certain way? Jesus told us how to respond. Notice what he said at the end of that chapter where Jesus talks about the signs of the times. These are his words. Matthew 24, verse 42, Jesus says, What's that first word? Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have what? Watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be what? Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It's not going to be a secret, but it's going to be a surprise. It's going to get, catch people off guard who are not watching. So Jesus was very clear, watch. In fact, over and over again, that word watch appears in the words of Jesus, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, the book of Revelation, Peter, the Apostle Paul. They all say watch. Now, not watch more TV or watch more YouTube, in case you were wondering. The watching that Jesus is referring to is when you see these things taking place, watch in my word so that you have a heads up 
for what is taking place and how you can prepare. As I pointed out earlier, there is nothing worse in life than being caught unprepared for a disaster. So let's watch. How many of you want to watch? Well, that's what we want to do. We've been told to watch. So let's watch. Let's find out what's taking place on planet Earth right now and how we can find hope. Signs you can't ignore. Well, you can if you want to, if you choose to. I'm praying that you and I won't ignore these signs. We're going to start off by looking at signs in the political world. Over these next three presentations, we're going to look at seven signs. There are many more, but we're going to look at seven signs. Signs in the political world. Jesus said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, the truth of the matter is, ever since Cain killed his brother Abel, this world has seen bloodshed and violence, war and conflict. Isn't that true? Absolutely. That's how nations have settled their differences by and large. However, the words of Jesus are significant in that he predicted that just before the end, there would be international conflicts on a global scale such as we have not witnessed in all of human history. The 20th century, I don't need to remind you, is the bloodiest century of all. Almost 200 million people died in the last century. We had World War I. Why is World War I called World War I? Because World War II followed World War I. In World War I, we had some 15 million people killed. World War II, four times that number. And, um, and who knows how many have been killed since then. I find it interesting that this was the time that the dream of utopia was dashed. You see, as we entered the 20th century, there was, there was a lot of optimism that now that we were in uh, industrial times, you know, we had all this technology at our fingertips and things were, we had, we had science on our side and uh, there was so much knowledge and understanding that all we needed to do was educate people to be nice to one another and we would all live happily ever after. That is what many believed would be the case as we entered the 20th century more than 100 years ago. But that's been dashed, hasn't it? We, with all this technology, is our world a better place? Yes or no? No. We are now living in a world that is more unsafe than it was before the advent of technology. This front cover of Time magazine back in 2009 really says it all. Again. Again. You turn on your news. Again, there's another war. There's another conflict. And you know what? You and I have become immune. We have become desensitized. We can sit at home, watch the six o'clock evening news and eat our mashed potatoes, eat our veggies, and we see another war somewhere in the Middle East and we say, pass me the corn, please. We don't blink an eyelid, do we? Because it's just normal today. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, but know this, that in the last days, what kind of times will come? perilous times. I looked up that word perilous. In the original, this was the definition. Times of stress, difficult times, dangerous, hazardous, risky, unsafe, and treacherous times. Does that describe the world that we live in today? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Today, there is potential for world destruction. I don't need to remind you 
that the nine nuclear powers in the world, there are nine nations that have nuclear power, we're able to destroy one another a number of times over in the space of 60 minutes. Isn't that true? Yes. Absolutely. That's the kind of world we live in today. I find it fascinating that these words about our day were written 2,000 years ago. Check these words out. Are you holding on to your seats? Seatbelts on? Seatbelts on. I can see some of you are a bit loose. You're going to fall out in a moment. Revelation 11:18, last book of the Bible. Notice these words. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints. This is talking about the second coming. This is talking about right at the end of time. That's the context. We keep reading. And those who fear your name, small and great. Okay, time for the judgment. Notice what follows next. And that you should destroy those who do what? Destroy the earth. This was laughable when it was written 2,000 years ago. I mean, you think about the possibility 2,000 years ago of humans being able to destroy this planet. Was that possible? No. Can you destroy this world with, with spears and swords and bows and arrows and catapults? Please, give me a break. The scoffers and the skeptics, they had a field day. They laughed. They said, how can you trust this book called the Bible when, when ridiculous things like this are written in there? Man would destroy the earth. No one's laughing today. No one's laughing today. For the first time in human history, you and I are living at a time when we can fulfill these words. But I thank God that these worlds will not be fulfilled because God will not allow humans to destroy this planet. Even though we are capable, God will not allow it. So you can go home and sleep really, really well, knowing that the second coming will bring an end to this world, not Donald Trump or his buddy in North Korea or anybody else for that matter. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. In Luke 21, 26, the parallel chapter to Matthew 24, Jesus said, men's hearts will fail them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. Fear. What's another word for fear? Terror. Has anyone come across the word terror or terrorism? Anyone? Do I need to make any comment on this picture? I don't think so. The truth is the newspapers were right. The world will never be the same again. And the world has been completely different since that day. You can draw a line in the sand, and I'll show you over these next three presentations. You can draw a line in the sand. The world before this event was like this. The world after this event was like this. Two totally different worlds that we live in. You will take a look at that as we take a look at the hard data. This will illustrate. This was Time magazine back in 2010. What really happened between 2000 and 2010? So they looked at what the world was like in the year 2000 and what the world was like 10 years later in 2010. Okay, are you ready for this? A lot of different statistics about a lot of different things. Um, I wanted to focus in on this one interesting statistic that I have highlighted here. Terrorist attacks. In the year 2000, around the world, there were 423. 10 years later... In 2009, there were 11,000. Have the contractions intensified? Absolutely. You and I, like I said, we have simply become desensitized. 
We have become very blase. It's no big deal. And unless, unless something happens in the middle of Sydney or in the Western world, we don't even blink an eyelid. The Global Risks Report 2018, this just came out last month. Uh, World Economic Forum before the G20, uh, the 20 most powerful nations on the planet. They meet every year in a place called Davos there in Switzerland. And this report came out. Um, I, I'd encourage you not to read it. Um, it's not good news. Not good news. Um, this was just one title, Global Risk for 2018, Fractures, Fears and Failures. Um, there's a lot of pessimism, a lot of pessimism as to where we're at. And uh, So I'm just illustrating to you, this is, this is where we're at. This is, anyone know who this is? Who loves this person? No, don't put up your hand. Don't put up your hand. This is our Prime Minister. And this is what he said on ABC Radio the day before the election. Well, two years ago now, in 2016. These were his words. I wrote them down. He, he said, we are living in uncertain times. We are experiencing unprecedented changes globally at unprecedented speed. He is quoting straight out of the words of Jesus. We are living in uncertain times. That's why I have called this seminar Finding Peace in Uncertain Times. As we'll discover, there's only one place where you and I can go to find true peace. True meaning and true hope. Who alone can offer this world true and lasting peace? Notice what Jesus said. John 14, 27, Jesus said, The night before his crucifixion, these were his words, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be well troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus says, I will give you my peace. And the peace that Jesus gives, no one can take that away. Over and over again, as you read the words of Jesus, he says, do not be afraid, do not be anxious. Why are you troubled? Why do you worry? Do not be afraid. I have no fear. No fear. Not because I'm macho, even though I look very strong. Um, I have no fear. I'm not afraid because I know the one who is the Prince of Peace, and that is Jesus Christ. He alone can give this world what this world so desperately needs. Each and every individual, that wonderful peace that Jesus alone can give. Let's take a look at our second sign this afternoon, signs in the natural world. I could spend a lot of time on these subjects, but I've shortened them all down um, in the interest of time. Jesus said, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Now remember, what are we looking for? We are looking for signs, those labor pains. Remember the labor pains? We're looking for what? Frequency and intensity. What are the two things we're looking for? Frequency and intensity. Wonderful. You'll be able to run this seminar after I do. Has there been a dramatic increase in the last hundred years, especially in the area of what's taking place in nature. Now, you and I, we kind of become a little bit, um, we come up, like I said, we become desensitized because we see it all the time. But let's take a look at what the, what the statistics 
tell us. This is from the International Disaster Database, okay, a center for research where they monitor natural disasters. This was from 1900 to 2011. That's basically what interests me. You know, I want to know the last 100 years, the last 10 years, the last 20 years, and so on and so forth. Here they are at the bottom. Let me just blow them up for you a little bit. Number of people reported affected by natural disasters. Okay, can you see the graph of those that are being affected? It's growing, absolutely growing. Here's another one. Estimated damage in billions of dollars caused by reported natural disasters in the last 100 years. Guess what? It's growing. They're getting more and more costly. The last disaster that hit the United States, those three hurricanes that came through, do you know how much that cost the United States? $200 billion. $200 billion, those three hurricanes that came through. This is a good news. This graph's going in the other direction, you're thinking. What's going on with that? Number of people reported killed by natural disasters. Why is there less people killed today than 100 years ago? A couple of reasons, I believe. Number one, we've got better warning systems. We've got far better warning systems today than they had 100 years ago before the advent of television and before the advent of the social media and so on and so forth. So that's number one. Number two, I believe even the greater reason is God in His mercy... In His mercy, God is holding back those four winds of strife, those angels. There's four angels in Revelation chapter 7. You can go home and read it. The Bible says they are depicted as holding back the winds of strife until God says, let them go. And then you don't want to be outside of the arms of Jesus when those four winds are let go. And I believe that's the main reason why we are not seeing more natural disasters today um, than we currently are and there's less loss of life. This is from the Munich uh, Reinsurance Company. They, they looked at significant natural disasters since 1980. So that really interested me. I wanted to know maybe in the last 30, 40 years, since 1980. Loss events worldwide from 1980 to 2014, 10 costliest events ordered by overall losses. So these were the 10 costliest natural disasters in the world from 1980 to 2014. Out of these 10, do you know how many took place in the 1980s? Zero. None from 1980 made it in the top 10. In the 1990s, two. Since the year 2008 of the costliest disasters. Deadliest disasters in the last 34 years, zero in the 80s. All happened in the 90s, too and since the year 2000. So once again, what's happening with those contractions? The intensifying and in frequency. Today, natural disasters happen um, all around the world and they come in all different ways. Climate change. Who's heard of climate change here? Okay, there are climate change believers and there are climate change skeptics. Okay, I don't really care whether you're a believer or whether you're a skeptic. All I know is that things are changing. But what, what you won't hear on the news and what you won't hear in the media, but you will find out from the Bible, is that it's not all because of humans, whichever way you want to look at it, but there is someone who also has the power, his name is the devil and Satan, he has the power to cause natural disasters. Did you know that? No. Go home and read Job chapter 1 for the rest of the story. Amazing. You won't hear that. 
You won't hear that on the news, but that is what the Bible says. Let's take a look at these three. Now, why did Jesus pick famines, pestilences, and earthquakes? I believe these three are the most destructive. They affect more people than any of the other disasters that are known to us. Famines. I don't need to remind you that almost a billion people go to bed hungry every night. We've got no idea about that here in Australia because we've got so much um, in this wonderful country that we live in, but not so in most of the world. In fact, half the world's population survive on $2.50 or less a day. Half the world's population survive on $2.50 or less a day. Pestilences. What are pestilences? Not your brother or your sister. <laughs> when you were growing up, pest, little pest. How many of you had a pest, little brother or sister? Okay, oh, you, you probably think I still do. <laughs> no. Pestilences. What are pestilences? Pestilences simply uh, diseases, strange diseases that affect humans, animals, and, and um, nature. I received this, I subscribe to Time Magazine in case you're wondering, how come he's got so many Time Magazines up there? I subscribe, it's fascinating, I get, I get the latest um, on what's taking place, it gives me a good heads up and helps to run these seminars. This was the Time Magazine back in 2017, warning, we are not ready for the next pandemic. It took a look at um, various disease outbreaks in the last, I guess, 30, 40 years. What's behind the most recent disease outbreaks? Outbreaks on the rise. Have a look at these graphs here. This one here um, is the number of outbreaks for the 10-year period from 1980 to 1989. That is between humans, well, number of outbreaks caused by animal to human transmission. This one here is human to human transmission. Have a look. Between 1980 and 1989, we had this many. Between 1990 and 1999, the next 10 years, we had this many outbreaks. In the, la in the next 10 years, we've had, look how many outbreaks. Can you see? It's going up, up, up. And let me tell you, in case you're wondering, our world population hasn't been increasing by that much to take, to make, to take into account. So there are more and more disease outbreaks around the world. There are lots of reasons for that. Today, we travel like at no other time in human history. Today, a disease, a deadly disease can begin here in Australia and within 24 hours it can spread around the world. Isn't that true? With the way we travel. In fact, in America right now, I was just reading on the news yesterday, in America right now, every week 4,000 people are dying from the flu. They've got a, some of you have heard that or read that? It's just one of the worst flu seasons um, on record. In fact, last year, I copped the flu, like I've been blessed with good health, really, really good health. And I usually cop the flu for about half a day. I, I dose up on garlic um, and usually next morning I'm fine. Last year, in the middle of a seminar, I had it for a whole week. That's unprecedented for me, you know, to be struck down by the flu for, for that long. Okay, let's take a look at earthquakes. All right, earthquakes. Why did Jesus specifically point out earthquakes? Well, I thought about this. You may not have thought about this, but of all the natural disasters that strike our planet, there's only one where we have absolutely no prior warning, and that's earthquakes. Is that true? Is there a warning system before an earthquake strikes? No. 
Someone wrote to me after I ran one seminar. They said, yeah, absolutely there is. I've got my hamsters at home. And um, three days before this earthquake took place, my hamsters were doing things they normally don't do. I'm like, good on your hamsters. <laughs> Sell them to the Japanese. You'll become an instant millionaire or somewhere around the world. <laughs> or breed those hamsters. But the truth is we cannot predict earthquakes. Cyclones, you have warning. Fires, you have warnings. Floods, you have warnings. Hurricanes, you have warnings. Tornadoes, you have a few minutes of warning. But not for an earthquake. Jesus specifically chose earthquakes for a couple of reasons. One, you need to be ready always. You need to be ready always. Just like when an earthquake strikes. Secondly, the evidence is absolutely staggering. Now, when we talk about earthquakes, there will be those that will say, well, earthquakes are not really a sign because Today we just have better ways, we have fancy dancy equipment that can monitor earthquakes unlike they had a hundred years ago. Isn't that true? We've got better equipment than they had back then? Absolutely. Today we've got equipment where you can measure an earthquake that's happening right below us that you and I will never feel, but it's happening there, we're able to monitor that. So based on my experience in New Zealand, any of you from New Zealand here? Okay, a couple of Kiwis. I lived in New Zealand for six years, the most beautiful country. I mean, just a beautiful country. Um, I love Australia, but New Zealand was just fantastic. Beautiful people, friendly people. I would actually have lived there if it wasn't for their really cold weather, dodgy beaches, and being so far away from home. So apart from those three reasons, I would have lived there. In fact, one of our girls was born over there, so we've got a Kiwi. I was in Palmerston North. Uh, for a couple of years, and I'll never forget the first time I experienced an earthquake. Anyone here been in an earthquake? Okay, yeah, you're from New Zealand. Uh, in New Zealand. They happen there all the time. And I remember I was, I was in the lounge room. Um, I don't know what I was doing, watching TV or whatever. It was the middle of the day, and all of a sudden, everything started shaking. I'm telling you, everything started shaking. I'm like, what's happening? My wife, she comes out from the kitchen, and she comes running to me, gives me a big hug. And I'm like, yes, what a wonderful earthquake. More of them. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you certainly know when you're in an earthquake. You don't need a super duper doobilacky to tell you that you're in an earthquake. So I decided that I was going to look at the words of Jesus where he said there will be what kind of earthquakes? Great earthquakes in, in Luke 21. So I did some research. Check out what I found. I went to the official earthquake monitoring website, which is the USGS, the US Geological Society website, and I punched in largest earthquakes in the world since 1900. And they came up with statistics for earthquakes that were 8.5 on the Richter scale or greater. Now, is that a big earthquake, 8.5? It's huge. It's massive. So... I had a look. Here they are, all 17 of them, since the year 1900. Now, these are the statistics. 8.5 and greater, from 1900 to 1999, there were 11 okay, earthquakes in the world. That's about one every 10 years. From the year 2000 to 2012, there were six, one every two years. Now, thank God there hasn't been an earthquake 8.5 or greater since 2012. We've been, we've been spared. Have a look at the increase. Then I took a look at the really big earthquakes, 9.0. Okay, the Japanese earthquake, um, the Southeast Asian tsunami earthquake, that was 9.0 and greater. 
Between 1900 and 1999, for 100 years we had three, and in 12 years we've had two. So the large earthquakes, the numbers are intensifying, just as Jesus said. Now what do we do when we see all this taking place? I love these words of Jesus in Luke 21, 28. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because you're what? Your redemption is drawing near. When you see all the graphs heading north, it's not a time to get down, to go in the corner and to get all depressed. No, no, no. Jesus says, don't look around you. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your friend. But instead, look up. Look up because your redemption is drawing near. The baby is about to be born. Good news. Yes, it's bad news when that poor woman is going through those horrific labor pains. It's bad news. It's awful. I hated watching my wife going through that pain. But guess what I was looking forward to? I was looking forward to the baby. All right, Leslie, I was looking forward to the baby. So when we see this world crumbling before our very eyes, Jesus says, look up, lift up your heads because I'm about to come and usher in eternal hope, meaning, peace and happiness for every single person on the planet that is willing to be part of my kingdom. Our only hope, my friend, is in Jesus. That is it. I don't have a plan B for you. I don't, if you came here to find something else out, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. There is no other plan. World leaders don't have a plan. I pray for the Prime Minister. I pray for our leaders. I pray that you do too. But they don't have what it takes. They don't have a solution for the titanic problems that we are facing. That's why we read these words in Titus 2.13, looking, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the blessed hope. Discover hope? Yes, discover hope in Jesus, in Jesus alone. What kind of world will Jesus make? Good question. Thank you for asking. Notice what the Bible says. Revelation 21 verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. What a, what a world. No pain, no suffering, no more war. No more earthquakes, no more tsunamis, no more fires, no more floods, no more death. Do you want to be part of that kind of world? I do. How soon? How soon before that world becomes the new world? Jesus said, therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready. How can we be ready? I want to finish off by sharing with you the story of Tilly Smith. Tilly Smith was an 11-year-old girl who had the privilege of meeting the then President of the United States, Bill Clinton. Um, why did she meet the President? Well, let me tell you the story of Tilly Smith. Along with her family, she made her way to Phuket. I don't know if any of you have been to Phuket. Uh, there in Thailand. Um, back in 2004, she was having a fun time. She was from England. And leave the cold and the wet and the miserable weather of England behind. And she went off to Phuket where she was going to have a fun time with her family there on the beach and enjoy Christmas time at Phuket. 11-year-old Tilly with a 7-year-old sister and her mum and dad. On Boxing Day 2004, as Tilly Smith was just playing there on the sand, all of a sudden she saw something strange. In fact, everybody on the beach saw something strange taking place. 
the water started to recede. Started to recede. And the tourists, being tourists, they walked in and all of a sudden there were all these shells that were left behind as the tide just went completely out. Tilly Smith remembered what her geography teacher had taught her two weeks before. This is a sign that there's a tsunami on the way. And so Tilly Smith saw the warning signs of a tsunami. She went to mum and daddy. She said, mum and dad, we have to get everybody off the beach. There's a tsunami coming. I mean, it was a beautiful day, middle of the day, sunshine. Who wants to cause a commotion? I mean, please. Mum and dad were like, do we take this girl seriously? I mean, this is unusual. Do we really need to evacuate everyone? Thankfully, they took her very seriously. She was not taking no for an answer. The lifeguards were told they evacuated everyone from the beach. That was one of the very few beaches on Boxing Day 2004 where not one person lost their lives. Tilly Smith got an award, Child of the Year, by the Maritime Society there in England, their highest award that they can award. She saw the warning signs, she gave the warning, and a hundred people today are alive because of her warning. She saw the signs. So how do you and I prepare for the coming of Jesus? It's simple. We see the warning signs. We have an opportunity now to share with people how they can be safe, how they can be safe in the arms of Jesus, how they can be safe and saved. I want to finish off with this scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11 where God says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's God's plan for you and me. He wants to give us a future and a hope. Isn't that good news? That's wonderful news. That's wonderful news. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for the peace that we can have in Jesus. We thank you that he has loved us so much that he gave us a heads up on what we can expect in our day that will prepare us for your soon return. Oh, Father, this is not good news. The things that we see going on around us is not good news. But the good news is coming. The good news is that you are coming, Lord, and you're going to bring eternal peace, joy, and happiness to every single person. So bless us now, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.